Um, well, you know, the church in general, you know, the big church, all those churches out there, they typically run the life of Jesus in one in a one-year cycle, you know, starting with Advent, leading up to Christmas, Jesus is born, you know, and then uh, he's grown up. And then the ministry starts, because we don't have a lot of information other than that instant where Jesus is about 12 years old going to the temple and all that. And so, and then it all goes through a whole year, which is great, because that teaches your children the entire life of Jesus in one year. I'll never forget my daughter saying one year when she was younger, and she said, I get it, Dad. What's next? So, you know, like, I consider that a great win, you know, that she gets the whole life of Jesus down in a single year. So the church really wants to help you do that. So here we are after December 25th, and we've moved on to past the Epiphany, which was the 6th of January. And now uh, his ministry begins. So he's all grown up. He's either 28 or 30 years old, depending on what scholar you want to listen to. But I thought, so we're going to read a couple of passages out of uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and then Matthew, chapter 4. And I thought, why don't we all do like the church in general has done for centuries, and every time the Gospel is read, you stand up. You stand up for the Gospel. So let us rise, and uh, I will read to you the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And then here we go, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. In the boat was their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 18 18 through 22, the word of the Lord. Have a seat, please. So thus begins the ministry of the most influential human being in world history, not just European history or Western history, but indeed all of world history. Everything has been changed by Jesus, and you can take that however you want, but in general, I think everyone has to agree it has been positive. So what does this... uh, What does this man tell these ordinary common fishermen? What does he tell them? Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Follow me and I will have you change lives, is what he's saying. We have a mission, brothers and sisters. We have a mission, we have a calling, we have marching orders. The gospel is to go forward in all of its full expression, everything from literally speaking the gospel to living the gospel and telling other people about it and then serving a cup of cold water to a small child. It is all the gospel. Our entire lives, our entire focus is bent upon this single thing. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So I believe it's a good and solid idea then to begin this new year with a strong reminder of why Lakeland is here what we benchmark as Christian, and then 
how we accomplish this plan. So there you have the why, the what, and the how of things. So let's get this one big thing clear. Our mission around here at Lakeland is straightforward. It is, right here behind me, to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Every good, solid Lakelander who's been around learns this through the membership classes, and it's something that we're all supposed to stick with, even if you kind of stumble around in it, that's close enough. So it's good to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Why are we here? We're building something. We're building something. It's not an empire we call Lakeland. It's not an empire. It's not a soft religious country club, you know, of religious types. It's not a fakey, flaky, weird, judgmental, moralistic, fundamentalist thing going around telling everybody, you know, how they ought to be living their life and they're having too much fun probably. And it's certainly not a bunch of funeral goers who are just a bunch of sad people who don't really believe that Jesus is relevant anymore to the rest of the world and what happened to them and all went to hell in a handbasket and the world's in a miserable state and somebody ought to do something about it. You know, all despondent and everything. No, we're building the kingdom of heaven during the one lifetime we've been given. And you're the expression of it. The master designer knows what the final design is, but we do not know the final design of the master designer. In the meantime, the master designer has commissioned us to prepare the site for construction. Our job is to gather the materials. Those materials are people. That's the idea, the kingdom of God. Our job, even though we don't know what it will finally end up to be, is to be the people who prepare. You know, those raw materials, they just look like good ordinary folk who happen to transform the world. Lakeland, we are simply just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. That's all we are. That's it. Lost people matter to God, and they should matter to us. Why? Because you and I were once lost, and every now and then fall back into being lost, and we stumble around until we get our eyes on Jesus, and then everything makes sense again. And we remember who we are and what our identity is. Lakeland began in 1995, and we started with this one purpose. We were this scruffy, ragtag, young group of Christians who had a passion for people who were drawn to Jesus, but they were put off by the church, right? They thought the church was either boring, they uh, thought that maybe the church was just money-grubbing, uh, or just some place where you just went there and got your good dose of guilt, and they didn't want anything to do with it. But they were probably okay with Jesus to some sort, at least from the right idea of saying, like, he was a good guy. But they didn't like what the church had done with it. So we started Lakeland to correct all that. We wanted Sunday to be accessible uh, to everyone, no matter how much or how little they knew about Christianity. We worked hard and we sacrificed for our seeking friends. We joined them. We just did life together. That's the big why since day one. Why did we start? To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It was simple. But, you know, um, it was hard because we also didn't have a home like this building. We didn't have this building when we began. We were drifters. We were vagabonds. We, we first met in a banquet hall above a restaurant. And everyone knew the price that you had to pay. I woke up at 4.20 on Sunday mornings, and we all went there, and we loaded things in, and we loaded things out of first one trailer, and then two trailers, and then three trailers. We had seven tons of equipment. 
We would load it in out of pickup trucks in the beginning and stage decks, toys, nurseries, stuff, supplies, partitions, tables, everything. And it just grew and grew and grew. And our friends came uh, and we needed a larger venue. So we moved out of the uh, banquet hall and we went into uh, the Eastland, what used to be called the Eastland Movie Theater. Or as one of our neighbors who came to church said, uh, who were Catholic, and they said, Our Lady of Eastland Church. Um, so we moved in the movie theater, and we hauled even more equipment up and down, setting up church in the lobby and upstairs. And I think eventually we were in about seven or eight different movie theaters doing children's ministry and all of that sort of thing. And um, we all thought it was worth it. Sometimes the elevator broke. We carried everything up and down a big flight of stairs. Sometimes, uh, and, you know, not to talk too down on Eastland, but I'm going to talk down on Eastland. It, let's just say there was a large mouse problem. Not just one large mouse, lots of mice is what I'm getting at. And uh, they would, you could walk in there and they would be jumping and fleeing. And, uh, because, you know, the mice are sitting around saying like, who doesn't like juby gels and popcorn? And, you know, our kids loved them too. I don't think any, our parents, any, had to, any of them had to feed kids their lunch. Um, they just grazed around and found Junior Mints and M&Ms and stale popcorn you know, they use leaf blowers in there. This is way too much information. They use leaf blowers, and you know where all the popcorn went? Behind the curtain below the screen. You could, you could dive into it. There's so much in there. And the mice would say, come on in. Um, yeah, one time, I, this is a true story. I'm really getting off base here. But one time, true story, I'm sitting there in the theater, and a mouse ran up my arm, hickory dickory dock, Ran up my arm, and I think he went flying eagle into a, a pot of popcorn behind me, you know, a, a thing of, um, like, woohoo, I love this place. Anyway, um, the kids liked it. Uh, and then, of course, um, it was still a lot of work, and, it, it, uh, and we made it work. Everything had to be set up and torn down by 1 o'clock, and uh, we were always in a hurry. Sometimes, literally, we threw sound equipment and lights and stuff out the side door while the moviegoers were coming in, and they're like, what's going on in here? So with the door open and all of that sort of thing. And uh, people got hurt. I'll never forget the time um, where we were rolling containers fast up a trailer ramp, and I was wearing my nice white tennis shoes, and a trailer caught it and just folded my big toenail back like an accordion. And uh, I watched my white tennis shoe just turned red. And I thought, I think I'll take that off when I get home. So, and after that, I started wearing hard leather shoes. Um, but we all thought it was worth it, is the point. And it was certainly every Sunday where you thought, like, I have to make a, a decision. Is this worth it or not? Because it was a lot of work. We went home drenched in the summertime and frozen in the wintertime. It was just that way. We thought it was worth it because we watched our friends and family and their children and people were beginning to become what we thought was truly like a Jesus-like person, giving away things that they didn't have, serving other people, showing up at the hospital, all of that sort of stuff. It became real. There's something about a cost that makes it stick. It was worth it. If we did anything worthwhile around here at Lakeland for the last 26 years, if we've done anything successful around here, we have, I believe, firmly established the core center belief of Christianity, which is grace. Grace. The grace of God upon us through Jesus Christ. Grace. 
Grace. Grace is not just some simple theological necessity. Instead, grace is the habit of God. Grace is God. Grace is what each of us receives from God. Grace is the, is the thing that gives us our next breath, our next heartbeat. It is, comes from the generous, gracious hand of God. The universe is here because of God's grace. Grace is God's habit. And grace says, no matter what you've ever done, no matter who you ever are, you are not judged based upon your performance. You're, based upon, you're loved by God based upon your worth, even if you think you're not worth something. And we've hammered that and hammered that and hammered that as long as we can. It is so hard to get through to the human heart that says, yeah, but God wouldn't love a person like me if they only knew. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. The core of it all. If the why is what we do is to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus, then the what we do are these habits. And the very first one that comes up is grace. The spiritual disciplines, the practices, the habits, and the values. And we just broke it into three kind of categories. First, you have surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Grace at the very top of that. Say, what you see is what you get, God. And then we come together fearlessly as one, one life, four together as authentic followers of Jesus. And we focus on this mission to build this Christ-like community. And then at the same time, we love. We love the unlovable, the marginalized, the voiceless. Every one of our financial challenges that we've been doing for all these since 2004, every one of them has initiatives that go out to other people. And we just give away hundreds of thousands, now even millions and millions of dollars to somebody else. That's our habit. That's who we are. That's our identity. That's what we do. We love. These are some of the critical uh, habits of, of what it means to be a disciple. Fifteen of them that we've worked hard over the years, with grace being the first one. And then it just goes, surrender, come together as one with people, and then love other people. All of this sort of thing. This is the sort of thing we work on. If you were actually looking like, well, what, what do I do to be a Christian? You would start here. This is, the, this is the what of it. Now, that's all good, but you say, well, how's that work? You guys have a plan for how that works around here at Lakeland, and yes, we do. Milestones are the how and the when and the where, but mostly, let's just say it's the how. Milestones around here are when of gathering together and orienting ourselves toward Christ, and this puts traction to things and actually shows up in various classes. It can take on many, many forms of curriculum and training and experiences and so forth, but these are the sort of things that we do. So think of the Christian life as a journey. I think it's a great metaphor. Life is a journey, right? We've all heard that. We use it. We say it. But think of the Christian life as a journey. It's not just a destination, although there certainly is the one, is to be with our Lord. And it's also not just a dead end. It is a journey with milestones marking along the way. All of us develop and grow, right? Children grow and progress. They get bigger and bigger. They get smarter and smarter. They learn to walk and they learn to feed themselves. Thank you, Jesus. They learn to read and write. You know, they learn to ride a bike, drive a car, get a job, pay for the car wreck, 
pay for the next car wreck. Uh, in, in the church, we have milestones for children. Infant baptism is the very, very first one. And then uh, we initiate them into the covenant community through this. We lay down a promise of salvation for them that someday they will have to affirm or what's called confirm, confirmation, right? That they'll do that when they're at an age where they can make sense of that sort of thing. And they'll, that brings them into an understanding of the confessional church. They confirm their baptism and they affirm the promises of Jesus. That's the journey that the children are on. But there's also a journey for the adults. Adults have spiritual milestones as well. First, we awaken to Jesus we experience the grace of God. Sometimes it's really, really dramatic, and there's tears and laughter and the whole bit. And other times it's like, yeah, I knew that. I knew God loved me. I'm good. And it's like, that's cool. That's all works. Whatever, wherever kind of spectrum you are on how you come to Jesus. Some, you know, the best thing you can ever have your kids say, especially saying for this of everyone who thinks you got to go, you know, and have some sort of uh, come to Jesus moment with all the tears and all that stuff. The best thing that your children will ever say is that I, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I've believed my whole life. Like, if you're a parent, that's a freaking huge win. You know, you did the job, right? You brought them to Jesus and then it worked, right? So, you know, I mean, every parent prays. I hope my kid, you know, becomes a person of faith. Doesn't always happen, but it doesn't mean it won't happen later on. Nonetheless, you did your best if you can get them there and then let the Holy Spirit take on uh, what needs to happen at that point. So um, we awaken to Jesus, and along the way, we discover somewhere in there, after we learn some things and we begin to learn some scriptures, we begin to see what the people of God are like, and somewhere in there, every person in the room receives a call, a call from God. You were made to do this. You were designed to do this. Your life all the ups and downs, the bumps, the scars, the whole bit, it calls. And God uses every part of you. You ever notice this? I've noticed this over the years, and you probably have too. You ever notice that like uh, men and women who work with, say, like incarcerated people, people at prisons, or work with uh, gang members, ex-gang members, they were once in a gang themselves, or they were once in prison themselves. You ever notice that? Your scars, that's your destiny. That's your calling. God uses the stuff, good, the bad, and the ugly, that's gone on inside your life to actually change other people's lives. Because you got credit. You're good. You're believable. A lot of people around here then, they're calling. They make their whole life in this sort of thing. Their work becomes a mission. Like, uh, I'll just point out a couple. A lot of people leverage their business to serve if they own the business and so forth, like uh, the Huckabee Dentistry Practice. They... They serve many who are unable to pay. Um, I mean, a lot of people they just take care of. And they're unable to pay, but they need dental work, and they just take care of it and just write it off with joy. Or uh, Ace Pipe around here, um, big, huge company, of course, national and so forth. But Ace Pipe, they free of charge fix sewer lines down at the Hope Center and the Eastland House. At least that's been my experience with them. Just come in and fix that stuff, you know. So um, how will you le le leverage your life for the kingdom of God? What are you being called to do? You just got to look at your past. Look at the stories that you have. Your one lifetime is meant to be used purposefully. I'll give you a little known truth about how you find your calling. 
It really is your worst moments. Those things that you think have damaged you, God uses them. Kathy around here with Dignity Liberia, working with women who have a fistula, young women. Kathy's had that same suffering. And she turned it into a ministry over in Liberia. Because she also suffers with them. Others started Mercy Street around here, really just based upon a 12-step type thing, because of their deep emotional wounds and flaws. And so they come together and help each other out, and anyone can join. Then somewhere along in this journey, somewhere around midlife, you know what really happens? And this is, by the way, one of the things I think makes Lakeland highly different. Somewhere around midlife, after you've been there and done that, and you got all the stickers and the T-shirt for the Christian life, 15, 20 years of doing Christianity, the doubts come in. And you begin to think, was it worth it? What do I believe? What's the church thing all about? What a goofy deal. And if it goes bad, you begin to think the whole thing's a big joke. And you know what you need? You need to shed your old God and get the new God, the deeper God. You need a broader picture of God. You can call it a midlife crisis. You can call it whatever you want. But what it really is, is a moment where you shed a skin and you find a whole new God. These retreats I lead, these contemplative retreats, are really, really designed for people who are at a place where they feel stuck in their spiritual life. And they need, they need to know that, tra- that traditional Christian life for thousands of years, since the 4th century, have found that they need to find a new God. It's the same God, but it doesn't feel like it. If you feel stuck in your Christian life, when I offer to you, come away with me to a monastery, you're like, I don't want to be a monk. Like, no, you don't. I don't either. But come away to a monastery and let it all settle in and see if you can't rediscover who you're supposed to be. It's very powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. So Generation 9 will be taken off in a couple of weeks. And those who have been, by the way, on a retreat, the people who continued the generation's journey, they are certainly welcome. And we'll have another retreat for those that have graduated the generation stuff here in about three weeks. So two, three weeks. So I invite you to investigate that. The sign-ups for Generation 9 is coming to a close here. So somewhere around there, people need to surrender once again. And they'll come out of this phase, if they come out well, and they'll say, I rediscovered God. And you are not alone in this journey in the second half of life. So many Christians have experienced this, if it's done well. And you find new birth in the whole thing. So milestones then helps us navigate all of these different phases of the stages of faith. Milestones, it comes in all sorts of forms. It can be in classes, discussion groups, conferences, retreats, pilgrimages, mission trips. Milestones is this active part of taking and giving you tools for this journey. Everybody should be looking for your next milestone. What's the next thing you need? Do you need information or do you need experience? I'll just give you a little preview. We are going to fall in deep with one by one in Harmons, Jamaica over the next three years. And we're going to take several trips down there. And I'm telling you, you may want to load up you and your kids and head down there 
and hang out in the back mountains of Jamaica. We're not talking Montego Bay and like sitting around with, you know, little umbrellas in your drink. I'm not talking that Jamaica. I'm talking the other Jamaica way back where poverty is everything. And to go down there and give something away. I don't call them mission strips. Mission strips sound like we have something to offer. I call them pilgrimages because you go to see God and discover something about you. Sure, you'll do some good. There's no doubt about that. But it changes you. Might as well call it a pilgrimage, which is really what it is. Anyway, we'll talk more about that over the coming weeks and months. Okay? So, why we do what we do? What are the critical habits of the church? What is the what? And how is when and where we show up, you know, for this journey? So, you know, and then sometime in this summer, we'll have adult baptism and children's baptism and even infant baptism. But... And every year, we have to ask this question. Who's going to get baptized with you there by their side? Who are you investing in that will show up in the waters with you, the baptismal waters? And they'll say, would you go out in the waters with me? Because I owe it all to you and Jesus. You're like, sure, I'll do that. Who are you going to be in the water with? That's the picture that drives us forward. We'll do that this summer. Jesus is calling us, and he's calling us to change the world with the one life you've been graciously giving, and he's calling you to fish for others. Your scars are your compass. Drop your fishnets and come follow the one person who will change the world through you. And at the very end, you will hear those famous words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that is our entire desire as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.